As we make our way to our seats, man, I'm pretty excited about uh, December 23rd and this, this live nativity. Um, you got to imagine, it was one of the weirdest phone calls I ever made. I was like, hey, uh, we're looking for some sheep and a donkey. You guys renting any? So that, that, was, that was pretty wild. And of course, the, you know, it's, it's their business, so they know how it's going, but that, that felt weird. But we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to having the, the good news of Christmas shared, every, like we said, every 30 minutes. And uh, it's going to be significant, we believe, for our community and to have people come on. Now, tell your neighbors to come by and uh, to, to see it. It's going to create a scene. We know that. We're going to try to work some crowd control and whatnot, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to seeing what God's going to do through that. I want to pray one more time as we open the Bible and get ready to dig in the Word and hear what God has to tell us this morning. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. I thank you for the hope that he is. And Lord, I pray now that as I open the word, your Holy Spirit would empower me in a fresh way. Speak through me, Lord, the words that come from you. Give us ears to hear. Grant us eyes to see. And may we uh, be courageous, God, in our response. Thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here. And Lord, I pray you would honor their, um, their commitment to be here today. And Lord, I pray that they would leave change in even one small way. We pray all this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, as, a, as I was a kid, I remember watching uh, the TV show Mighty Mouse. And Mighty Mouse had a phrase. You guys remember this? Here I, to save the day. That's right. And so this Mighty Mouse would come like Superman and come and save the day. And, you know, it's a phrase that we use in our society uh, somebody saved the day, like when you forget your coffee in the morning, you show up to work and your boss b- uh, buys a round of Starbucks and you're like, you saved the day, right? Um, or when your starting quarterback on your favorite football team gets injured, the backup comes in, wins the game, that person came and saved the day. Uh, you think about the time where you forgot your tie and you're going to that occasion and someone said they had an extra one, saved you, Right? So we, we, we use the phrase, man, you save the day, a lot of times in our lives. Um, when I think about the Christmas story, the whole message of Christmas is God coming to save the day, and actually with that, the darkest nights. Um, there's that phrase that says, familiarity breeds, you remember the word? Contempt. And with that phrase comes the idea that the more often we're around something, the less we begin to appreciate it. And I think sometimes it happens with Christmas. We become so familiar with the story. We picture this baby in a manger, this, don- these don- this donkey and the sheep. We, we, we picture the, the magi, the wise men, the shepherds, the angels. It's cute. It's fun. It feels mythical almost. And we begin to lose some of the wonder. It, 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 it breeds contempt, a, a lack of recognition or appreciation for Christmas. And man, my, my prayer has been, my hope has been that as we 
go through our gatherings in the month of December, and as I open the Bible with you guys, there would be a real sense that, that God is restoring the awe and wonder of the Christmas story. My prayer is that the old story would have a fresh hope for us. The old story would have a fresh hope, that we'd see that Jesus came to save the day and the darkest nights. But in order for us to really appreciate that, we've got to understand what that day and the darkest night was like. Part of our forgetfulness has to do with forgetting how problematic our human condition is, how sin-stained our soul is. Christmas works off the assumption that humanity is not basically good. It flies in the face of humanity. I was thinking about this. Isn't it interesting that typically in the Christmas season, we discuss how, um, how the Christmas season brings out the best in people, and we want to kind of celebrate the good of humanity, but when really at the heart of the Christmas season is that there is no good in humanity. It's the fact that we, men and women, young and old, from the time of our birth, we're born separated from God. Our soul is sin-stained. God in his perfection has uh, no interaction. He, he cannot be with us. He cannot, he cannot be with us for eternity because of our actions, because of our lives. We have very real in our souls a jealousy and lust and greed and hateful thoughts and manipulative uh, habits. Uh, we have idolatrous ways and gossip. I mean, we could go down the list and I could depress us really quickly here. But, but that's the part of humanity, and that's what Jesus came to save us from, is the sin and the repercussions that come from it. And at the heart of the Christmas story, we must remember from where we've come, or maybe for many of us, where we're still at today. But also with the Christmas stories, not just that Jesus came to save us from our sin, although he did that, but he also came to be with us. The, the ones who feel alone or forgotten. So this story is something that we can't let the familiarity cause us to become contemptuous with or to be forgetful about. So I want us to, again, pray for fresh eyes as I open God's Word. Um, Would you join me in the book of Matthew chapter 1? It is the very first book of the New Testament of the Bible. And once you get there, would you you please stand with me as I read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in the pew in front of, or I'm sorry, in a chair in front of you. Um, we got rid of the pews a year ago. Uh, meet us there in Matthew chapter 1. If anybody has one of those chair Bibles, can you tell me what page we're on? 807. All right, this is Matthew writing. He says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you will call his name what? Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken 
by the prophet, quoting Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word. You may take a seat. Christmas exists because God came to address a crisis, but I love how he addresses a crisis through a crisis. God uses a a crisis moment to address the problems of humanity. Um, I I love how, how it starts out here saying in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Matthew's like, all right, let me tell you this Jesus person, where he came from, what, it's a, what he's about, and why we're worshiping him, why we're serving him. And we've got to track him back to his birth. Like, where did he come from? All right, yeah, we might have seen him as an adult, but where, where were his origins in this human life? And Matthew, Matthew says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. She was betrothed to Joseph. Now, this word betrothal, we, we don't use that kind of language these days, all right? You're like, I haven't been betrothed to anything. I don't know what that is. Betrothal in the first century is like an engagement in our day. However, it has legal binding, all right? When someone says, will you marry me? You say, if you say yes, it's like you have now become legally bound together even preceding the wedding day, which is why uh, it says that, that Joseph was her husband in verse 19, and then in the very end of the, the passage says, you should take Mary as your wife. Like, but if he's her husband, why does he need to take her? You know, because they were betrothed. They were legally engaged, which had a binding, uh, a binding covenant in the first century. And, and this is the situation everything comes about. This is the crisis, all right? So Mary and Joseph now, they love each other. They're, they're uh, engaged, if you will. They're getting ready. They're preparing for marriage. And the way it worked was uh, the, the, the groom-to-be would begin to prepare a home for his bride. And when it was complete, he would come um, at some somewhat unannounced time to take his bride. Well, while this time of preparation was taking place, the angel Gabriel visits Mary and tells her, Hey, Mary, um, God is gonna, has caused you to conceive, and you're going to bear a son. And Mary's like, How can this happen? I'm a virgin. And then the angel says, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. She goes off to be with uh, her cousins, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And Elizabeth was an elderly woman, and she herself was pregnant with a son who's going to be named John, who's known as John the Baptist. John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. Well, as Mary comes back to Nazareth, this small village, it says that she was found to be with child. Well, very likely, she began to show. Imagine Joseph's light at that moment. My girl's been gone for a few months. She comes back and she's showing. She's pregnant. Joseph's got a crisis on his hands. The birth of Jesus comes out of a crisis to address a crisis. And so Mary then, it says, is found to be with child. Now this is is so amazing. She was found to be with child. She was visibly pregnant with Jesus. I was reading a commentary the other day. A guy named Matthew Henry, he wrote in the 1700s. He made a comment that just struck in my mind. I was like, man, I would have never thought this this way. And it's totally a side note, but man, I want to share it with you guys. He says, isn't it something 
that when Jesus is formed in you, you begin to show outwardly. And when you show, God takes all the credit for what's happening there. And in the same way, Mary here is, quote, truly filled with Jesus and beginning to show in such a way, people are like, hey, what's up with that? And she's like, it's from God. And in like manner, as Matthew Henry says, we, when we follow Jesus, got to let Jesus begin to take root in our lives and begin to, to truly transform us so that outwardly we begin to show. And people are like, what's up with that? And you say, is God at work in me? It proves a somewhat of an example here for us. So here Mary begins to show, and Joseph has a dilemma on his hands. It says here that Joseph, in verse 19, was a just man. A just man. Joseph was a carpenter, by the way. Um, in fact, later on in Jesus' life and Jesus' teaching, they're, they're amazed at the quality of Jesus' teaching, and they're like, how can he be so, uh, so wise? He's, after all, a carpenter's son which is a total knock on carpenters, by the way. But, but Joseph was a carpenter. He worked with his hands, but he was known to be a man, a carpenter of character. He was a just man. That, that's a crucial point because a just person believes in justice, right? And so when someone breaks a law, if you're just, that lawbreaker needs to receive the penalty for their, for their lawbreaking. So Joseph is a just man, but it also says... Joseph was a just man in verse 19, but he was also unwilling to put her to shame. He was a just man and a compassionate man. He realized a law was broken, but he, on the other hand, did not want to put her to shame. And so now his crisis is double now. Not only is his engaged wife to be pregnant, and he knows he had nothing to do with that, but now this person he cares about, what does he do? Justice says you can put her on blast in his mind, perhaps. Compassion says, but that's not right. So there he is in this situation, figuring out what to do. And so he concludes in verse 19, he resolves to divorce her quietly. We see his character begin to manifest. He says, you know what? I'm just, I'm compassionate. Let's just move on from this quietly. I don't want to have Mary exposed to open shame. Let's just, let's just break this off, move on, and I'm going I'm to deal with this. We see his character. And then it goes on to say in verse 20, As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. As he considered these things, Joseph was thinking this thing through. He did not have a knee-jerk reaction. He was a man who was patiently considering what God would want him to do. And in that place, God speaks to him. Now, I just want, I want to pause and press here for a moment because these kinds of men are in high demand in our day. You with me? Men who are, uh, who are men who care about justice, but men who are very compassionate, men who consider things rightly, men who are concerned about people's well-being. These kind of men are in high demand, but my question, I wonder, is are they in high supply to meet the demand? I want to speak to my brothers here in the room. When we look at Joseph, we see a guy of character. And if you're like me, sometimes you read stories of heroes in the Bible, and you're like, man, this, this is a tall order. Not a bad thing is said about this man in the entire Bible. Not much is said about him at all. But what we do know is some really amazing things. In fact, later on, he said, after he sees his vision, it says, 
he went and did as the angel told him. So not only is the just man who's compassionate, who considers his ways, doesn't respond by knee-jerk reactions, but he also is radical in his obedience to what God wants him to do. These are the kinds of men God wants us to be, brothers. Men of integrity, men of character, men who care most about what God thinks about us, even more than our own reputation in society. Joseph, if he took Mary as his wife, was going to receive a reputable hit on his character, publicly speaking. And he knew that was at play. But I know for many of us, if you're like me, the reason we, we, we shy away sometimes, as men, we get discouraged by our own failures because we've got them, I've got them, you've got them. We become very discouraged by where we're at. We feel defeated by different voices in our lives, sometimes those closest to us. Maybe we've rushed God's timing and bent on our standards, and we start living with the facade, and there's, just, there's no transparency, and we read a story like this, like, can I be that kind of man? I, w- I want to just press on here, uh, brothers, because recently God revealed to me that I've got some good men in my life here at the brook, and every man in this room can, should be able to say the same as we look around. There are some great brothers in this room, well, what God began to show me was this, that whenever these brothers ask me how I'm doing, I'm pretty transparent. I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you what I'm doing when you ask me. And I realized that I oftentimes don't divulge how I'm doing readily, but only do so when someone asks me how I'm doing. And usually it's not because I'm trying to hide anything. It's because I'm just busy, like all of you are busy. But I know that my character can't be fashioned and formed without your voice in my life. So if I don't invite your voice into my life and I just wait for you to talk to me, my character won't be formed the way it ought to be. And the same is true for each of you men. You see, Joseph is here as a man who stands on clay feet like you and I do. But we see his character because God is telling us that we can be men of character. Now there's so much more to the story that we don't see here undoubtedly in Joseph's life, but I know as we read scripture, when we as brothers are accountable to one another and readily divulge our need for each other as men, that's when God begins to form our character. You cannot sit back, brothers, and wait for someone to ask you how you're doing. We just can't do that. Because what is going to happen is we begin to become more and more drifting and isolated from our other brothers. And isolation is a dangerous place to be in. I hope this is liberating for you. Because what we're, to- we're told here is that actually God has resourced us with his Holy Spirit within us and with the brothers around us to be the man God wants us to be. So we just got to do it, no matter where you're at. Young, old, whether you know, regardless of your background, we need each other. Joseph considered these things on what to do. And he cries out, and undoubtedly he's asking God, what should I do? And that's when the angel speaks to him. Look what the angel tells him there in verse 20. He says, Joseph, son of David. Notice that name, son of David. Well, as we read the genealogy of Jesus, Joseph's dad's name is Jacob. It's not David. So why does the angel tell him, Joseph, son of David? Well, because Joseph knows that in his lineage, in his ancestry, is King David. And the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would have to come through the ancestry of King David. And so here the angel's like, hey, Joseph, you are a son of David. 
And because of that, God has a plan. He says, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Take Mary, he says. One person writes, He commands Joseph not only to not divorce Mary, but to go ahead and marry her. The child will therefore legally be Joseph's son, and thus legally a son of David. This is how God would enter into history to save people. But notice, the, the point of the story is not Joseph. All right, so I, I wanted to press there, but I don't want to linger there too long. Because who's preeminent in the story is the one who's the forefront of every sermon we preach here at the brook, and that's Jesus himself. See, what the angel has done, he's prepped Joseph for what he's about to say about Jesus himself. This is the message of Christmas. Christmas. This is how Jesus came to save the day and the darkest night. Verse 21, the angel says, She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You will call his name Jesus. The name Jesus, Yeshua, means salvation. And Jesus would be the one to save people from their sins. You see, all of uh, Israel had hoped that God would send this Messiah, this deliverer. But they didn't expect him to come and save them from sin. They thought that the deliverer would come and save them from oppression. We live in a country with freedom, and we praise God for our freedoms. We have not been, many of us, if not probably most of us, not ever been under a regime, under a, a, a dictator like the Jewish people were under here in the Roman Empire. And so they longed for God to send somebody, a deliverer, to be their king instead and to free them. And so what the Christmas story tells us is that there's actually a greater foe than what the people of God thought they had. And a greater foe requires a greater savior. And that's when Jesus comes on the scene. He would save his people from their sin. As I mentioned earlier, our sin nature is what stains us and separates us from God. And we cannot forget that this is at the heart of Christmas. We cannot fix this relationship. Jesus had to save the day. So I love what, what Matthew tells us here. Just, just as Noah took, it took Noah's and his ark to save a few from the flood, and, and just as it took Rahab's red cord to save her family from Jericho's destruction, and just like it took Israel's parted Red Sea to save people from slavery, it would take a virgin-born Messiah to save the world from sin. It, it would take this Jesus to save us from the wrath of God and our eternal separation from God. And as salvation history unfolded, the people of God began to realize they could do nothing to fix this. And so when the angel says to Joseph, Joseph, your woman, Mary, is pregnant with the one who will bring salvation, he's bringing a message of eternal hope. The Bible, after all, tells us that no one is perfect. No, not one. None seeks after God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. This is why Paul says in the Bible, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this body of death? See, Christmas brings to the surface what ought to be an angst in our soul. Am I right with God? Can I be right with God? And that is what Jesus comes into. A rescue is needed. Not merely a rescue from bad habits. Not merely a rescue 
from uh, broken systems, but a rescue from sin and separation. The angel says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's quoting a passage in the Old Testament where King Ahaz was finding himself uh, getting ready to be attacked by a greater power. And God says, I'm going to give you a sign, Ahaz, and this sign is going to echo because I'm going to send a deliverer in that day, but I'm going to also send a deliverer in a future day. And this deliverer will be born of a virgin. And here Jesus is, God with us. God in our presence. God who is here. So family, if you feel overlooked by God, let the message of Christmas resound in your heart. You're not alone. Though you walk in the valley of the shadow of death, you're not alone in the abyss of disappointment. Whatever you're going through, Jesus reminds us that he is God with us and come to save us from our sins. And the way he would do it is by taking on a cross. This was so cool about the book of Matthew. Here in the opening chapter, he tells us God is with us. But what happens after Jesus dies and raises from the dead and ascends into heaven? Is he still with us? I mean, is he still there? Because Jesus' coming represents God with us. But, but what happens after he ascends? And the book of Matthew bookends or in literary speech, it's called an inclusion. He starts with the same message he closes with. Because what's the very last, book of the, uh, last verse in the book of Matthew? Other than Jesus ascending to heaven and saying, Behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus coming on the scene in his birth set us in a trajectory where we who are followers of Jesus can always say that God is with us. When our sin was paid for on the cross and Jesus rose from the dead, he says, I'm with you. My spirit fills you. My spirit empowers you. And you will never, ever be alone. I've come to save the day, to deliver you from the darkest night, and to be with you always. This is the hope of Christmas. So family, let's relish in our identity as followers of Jesus. Let's return, maybe if we've strayed away from God. Let's receive his great gift in Jesus. Let's see what Joseph does in verse 24. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Indeed, that's a beautiful name, isn't it? It's a name that brings salvation. It's the name that's at the heart of Christmas. In my prayer, it is the name that gives you comfort in your darkest nights. Let's pray, fam. Father, I thank you, Lord, for our great Savior, Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us in the muck and mire of our sin, God. But have you chosen, Lord, to, to redeem us? God, that great hymn, O Holy Night, said, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. There we are wallowing in our sin until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that as we venture forward, as we take each day in this Advent season, as we remember the coming of Jesus, step by step, Lord, we remember that there is a message of hope underlaying 
the, the angst of our sin. And so, Father, I pray for my, my brothers and my sisters here that we would set our eyes to Christ, that we would embrace his forgiveness, Lord, that we would trust you with our whole life. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Family, let's rise to our feet and